Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuned in to another episode of the My Mike and I podcast, and I am your host, Noah Alvarez. want to thank everybody that's currently tuning in right now. really appreciate you guys for taking the time out of your day and supporting the My Mike and I podcast, wherever you may be listening to. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to follow. Don't forget to uh, support the podcast any way possible. You can follow us on social media at my period Mike and period I on Instagram, or just follow my personal Twitter at underscore Noah Alvarez. It's the best way to interact with me via the show. You can also talk about uh, maybe potentially being on the show. I know a lot of different people reach out to me as far as being on the show. Any feedback for the show? Those are the two best platforms to reach out to me. And uh, yeah, before we get into things. Did want to thank Generic Sports for producing the instrumental playing in the background. Also wanted to thank Vince Correa for designing the Mike and I logo that you are seeing on your screen. And of course, I did want to remind you guys quick too, a couple ad reads. Be sure to check out popple.co. It's P-O-P-L dot C-O. And if you use promo code LOCKER, you can get 20% off on every single purchase. What they sell there is an attachment that goes onto the back of your phone that works as a business card. So let's say I have this podcast, and if I meet someone new who has questions about this podcast, well, I can program it to show my Spotify page, my YouTube page, maybe my personal website, Twitter, whatever it may be. And so when I tap the back of my phone to tap with someone else's phone, it shows up all that information on their screen. So it's like a business card digitally. So you don't have to worry about, you know, carrying a bunch of little business cards. So popple.co, be sure to check it out. That's P-O-P-L dot C-O and use promo code LOCKER for 20% off on every single purchase. Also, guys, be sure to check out LockerRoomSportsCA.com. It's where you can check out written work by myself, as well as Max Farias, Andre Newell, uh, Carl Cervantes, all kinds of people and colleagues that I've had on the show, or I'm working with particular different podcasts. It's a wonderful sports slash pop culture blog that we're trying to, you know, get consistently going off the ground. So I'd really appreciate any support. And if you guys have any ideas or are interested in writing for that website as well, we're pretty open to all sorts of ideas. Be sure to hit us up or hit myself up and we can get you situated with that. Also, be sure to check out Phoenix Fit. That's spelled F-N-X-F-I-T dot com. It's a nutritional supplement brand and they also have a lot of athletic wear too that I like wearing few cool shirts i also use their cbd gummies cbd gummies are really great they help you fall asleep relatively faster than you know if you if you're one of those people who has restless nights cbd gummies will take care of the trick no doubt i also use the cricket protein and you might be wondering protein from crickets well actually it's uh it does cost a little bit more than the typical beef protein Uh, most proteins are made from beef product but getting the protein from crickets is actually better for the environment. It actually uses a lot less water and waste than you would for, obviously, from cows. So be sure to look in into the cricket protein, the CBD gummies, and some of the athletic wear up on that site. PhoenixFitFNXFIT.com. Use promo code my Mike and I with the letter N. So that's my Mike, the letter N, I, for 15% off on every single purchase. My Mike and I, promo code for 15% off every single purchase. Now, can I get a drum roll for this week's guest? This week's guest happens to be a family relative, the second Alvarez I've had on the show, and it's one that's running for mayor. Cool little backstory, uh, I had never met her before. You know, she's my dad's cousin, technically. Her name is Claudia Alvarez, for those of you wondering. She's running for mayor. She served as a city council member for the city of Santa Ana. She's Santa Ana. She's also the DA 
and she's also uh, she's served in the Rancho Santiago Community College District. She serves as one of the president of the board of trustees. I believe I'm saying that right. Anyways, she has a long list of accomplishments. I can tell her tell you a lot about her, but I'll go ahead and let the interview play out. But very cool too, cause in our you know in our meeting for this interview, it was also my first time ever meeting her too. Just you know, cause family, I wasn't able to meet her as a child or as a young adult. And I was finally able to meet her. Really cool meeting a family member that's as passionate about changing the community and you know helping the city of Santa Ana, a city that I call home, a city that she calls home. Shout out to Claudia Alvarez. Thank you for being a part of the show. Without further ado, hope you enjoy the conversation with Claudia Alvarez and myself. Well, thank you again for coming onto the show. Mm-hmm. First question I wanted to ask you is just like, what were some of the obstacles you faced as uh, you know, like a Mexican American immigrant or Mexican immigrant, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, growing up in the '70s here in Santa Ana? Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. And, you know, as I was saying earlier, I'm old, right? So I could talk to you for hours as to the different challenges in all the years that, you know, we've had here in our beautiful country and city of Santana. And we moved here when I was 10 years old, back in 1979. Don't do the math, because I'm only 29, that's what I tell people. But to the extent that there are challenges, I mean, there are challenges from the minute you set foot, right, in a different country, to the extent that we didn't speak a word of English, right? And uh, we're down the street from the school I attend, the Primary Elementary, which is really cool because it's like a second home to me. And uh, we took ESL classes. And back then, this is many years ago, when you were an ESL student, you were not allowed to earn an A, if you will. Mm. Right? Even though you were doing A work, right? ESL students could only earn up to a C. So if you got 100% on your test on the sword, you could still only get a C because people looked at ESL classes as if they were minor or less right mm-hmm. than your typical classes which wasn't fair to those students at the time or any time then uh, it was assumed that because you didn't speak english you also didn't know anything about other subject matters mm-hmm. right so for example in mexico schooling is so much more advanced in many different subjects yeah. math uh, history world history yeah you name it so when we left mexico i was doing square roots in fifth grade wow and uh, when we came over here, uh, they were doing the times tables and we were playing this <laughs> contest on, you know, flashcards. Yeah. And my teacher allowed me to answer the to answer the flashcard in Spanish, right? And then uh, they would have this contest every Friday. And because we knew times tables from third grade, yeah. I was winning every time, but he would allow me to do it in Spanish. So soon, soon within months from when we first got here, we as kids understood there were several injustices mm-hmm. in education itself as we lived through them. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we moved districts, we were uh, tested as far as, you know, other skills and the sort, and next thing you know, we were in gate. And, and I'm not sure what happened there. Obviously, I'm very grateful of that opportunity, but it was also sad that I had to move districts for someone to actually give you a test and then realize that your potential is a little higher than everyone else, so just because you don't speak the language. Right. right? So that was that challenge. Of course, the financial challenge. We moved, I'm thinking maybe seven times before we finally settled down yeah. over to the west end of the city and I attended Santiago High School. And that, that was actually uh, very uh, rewarding to me. I, I play sports mm-hmm. and uh, I also got to meet a lot of my good friends this day. Mm-hmm. Went on to uh, Casa Fullerton, but I remember back then, we didn't have any money, right? So my father, both my parents always said, you know, we can only give you an education, we can buy you, you know, a car or, or property, but we mm-hmm. could give you an education. So to that extent, choose the college where you could only apply to one, mm-hmm. and they wanted us to stay local. Yeah. So. Um, I applied at Casa Fullerton and got in, and uh, 
a lot of my friends in high school were Vietnamese mm -hmm. and they were all going to be doctors, right? Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> my mom's uh, father, who I never met, my maternal grandfather, was a doctor in Mexico. So that was in the back of my mind. I thought I wanted to do that. But then I still found out that I wanted to address injustices and political science was more my thing and uh, criminal justice, right? And lo and behold, I switched mayors after like 21 units in biology. Okay and uh, went to Sanana College yeah. to try to catch up with my units because I still wanted to finish in four years because I knew that it was a sacrifice for my parents to be paying for my schooling and that of my sisters. Mm -hmm. So long story short, uh, that challenge is even through uh, university, we're always financial. Mm -hmm. and not so much a language thing, we got past that. And then of course the, the moving, moving around, but eventually you, you manage, right? Mm -hmm. And then went on to law school. My dad always said, uh, I should be a lawyer. I think I'm the son that he always wanted, right? Yeah. So I did go on to law school because I wanted to change the world. But that was also a challenge because, you know, we weren't citizens yet, so we didn't qualify for a lot of the financial aid that's available to now citizens. Oh, this is one of my pieces. So yes. there you go. <laughs> right side up. Um, so we weren't citizens, and so we didn't have the, uh, the advantages that a lot of our students have these days, right? Mm -hmm. So that I ended up getting loans. No regrets whatsoever because, as you know, education is priceless. So to that extent, that, that was a challenge too, and I ended up working through some of the time I, I spent in law school. Mm -hmm. But in law school, I went to work for nonprofits, the Legal Foundation over in LA. Mm -hmm. Still wanted to change the world. Yeah. And then uh, you soon realize that you gotta be either independently wealthy to be able to do what you want to do as far as you know litigation, class litigation, yeah. class action litigation, or you gotta work for. Um, for organizations, but with restrictions because some of their funding is federal funding and that has restrictions on mm -hmm. its own. So uh, through working through legal aid, I did a lot of work with domestic violence victims and with a lot of seniors. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to do uh, paternity lawsuits, right, and protective domestic violence, protective orders, and then helping the seniors out. And um, I decided instead of staying in LA and doing, continuing to work with the Legal Aid Foundation, I decided there was so much work to do in Orange County. Because mm -hmm. right, in LA, they're a little more sophisticated, a little more mature, as far as politics are concerned, they've accomplished so much more than they mm -hmm. were still to do in Orange County. Mm -hmm. So to that extent, I thought I could put my degree to better use coming and pioneering back into Orange County. So mm -hmm. I came back and opened up my own practice and figured, hey, I'm going to change the world through that. And I hung my own shingle. And next thing you know, I'm getting a bunch of divorce cases. <laughs> and I thought I didn't go to law school to, you know, be in the middle of some fight, right? Yeah. And <laughs> But things happen for a reason because through that, I met a lot of good friends that were working at the district attorney's office that were helping in enforcing child support orders and paternity lawsuits. And that's how I met them. And they, they talked to me about the wonders of the job, right? And, you know, with the mm -hmm. benefits and you're able to do so much more once you're financially you know, stable. So um, they talked me into applying and that's how I ended up at the DA's office. Had you asked me that when I was going to law school, that was not in my wildest dreams. I wanted to change the world and work with the DA's office, if you will. Yeah. So that's how I ended up at the DA's office. But there was, um, a judge, her name is Frances Munoz, first Latina judge ever in Orange County, former mm -hmm. public defender. When I was doing a lot of nonprofit work, even when I left law school, graduated, became an attorney, right? I was involved with a lot of nonprofit organizations here in Santana. She pulled me to the side and told me, you know, that's great and dandy that you're doing these great things for the community. However, your loans are going to become due. You're going to have to pay a mortgage eventually, right? If you want to drive a nice car, that costs money. And to the extent that you want to help the community, you will be in a better footing to do so if you have like a stable you know, career mm -hmm. and you could come back, like she was, for example, at George and was very much involved with, with the community. Mm -hmm. So I took that piece of advice and, and that of my other mentors and that's how I ended up at the DAs. And uh, the rest is history to the extent that, you know, we've, we've managed to 
still be involved with the community very much so i have two lives i call it right yeah. i have my career at the da's office it's been 21 years and i've been a, a, an elected official for 20 of them and mm -hmm. great work on both right and elected official i get i get that need met if you will my need to help the community gets met i was on the council for 12 years i was vice mayor for six of them after that i got turned out and then i went over to the community college district and this is my eighth year i'm president of the board this year that's the second time i get to be president challenging year we could talk about that a little more but it's it's been it's been a great career no regrets whatsoever mm -hmm. i think it's the challenges and the struggles that make you even wiser as to what it is what it takes what what people are going through mm -hmm. and and what the needs of the community are and we've lived it firsthand mm -hmm. as an immigrant from mexico right that that gets it went through the education system in mexico partially and then lived experience here and then have managed to Mm -hmm. to survive and overcame it, right? We're very, very lucky in many different ways, we're, uh, successful uh, to the extent that obviously you define success these days, but uh, very grateful mm -hmm. for, for having had the opportunity and having overcome the challenges and having been able to help the community. So now with this golden opportunity to be mayor, mm -hmm. not only um, do I have the most experience, mm -hmm. uh, but also my background, I think, is best qualified for the people that reside in the city of Santana. Mm -hmm. So to that extent, I would also be making history, right? We've never had a woman mayor in yeah. the city's history. 50 years yeah. and it's not as if we're not qualified I'm more qualified than our current mayor ever hoped to be and yeah. no offense to Miguel right but to that extent <laughs> I mean you look back at what's going on back then what's going on now yeah I'm even a better candidate now than when I first ran for city council back in 2000 mm -hmm. I was uh, the first Latina ever elected when I won in 2000 as a councilwoman mm -hmm. I was only the fifth woman ever elected and uh, we've had some other Latina councilwomen since then but never a woman mayor mm -hmm. and I think it's time that's awesome. So you mentioned from whether it's becoming the first woman mayor or just even playing sports. I wanted to ask you, did you feel like you grew up in a progressive household? Because at least in my family and then my experiences with other Mexican-American families, it seemed like women couldn't play sports. Um, they discouraged women to go to college, at least in the older generations, right? Because it was more like, hey, stay at the house, um, kitchen, that kind of stuff. Because, you know, it's big uh, patriarchal family system, right? So did you feel like your family grew up a little bit different from that? A little bit from what you just described, and I, I very much, I'm very much aware of the fact that that exists. But uh, to the extent, I'm not so sure if it's uh, something that comes from the Mexico City background, if you will, because that's where my family is from. Even though my my father is from Irapuato, Guanajuato, mm -hmm. and uh, my mom's from Zacatecas, they've always, always uh, inculcated a higher education. To the extent that they wanted us to accomplish as much as we could accomplish. I've never ever had the pressure of having to get married, never ever had the pressure of having to have kids, yeah. never had the pressure of having to stay home. And you know, so in that sense, I'm very fortunate. Mm -hmm. And always, uh, my dad always used to tell me, uh, You need to become a lawyer. Because you know, there's only, it was only four women in the house, right? My sisters, I, like I told you earlier, I'm the son, my dad always wanted, right? Uh, but we would argue, you know, girls argue. And, uh, and, from that, my dad, always, my dad always used to say you should become a lawyer. So it was never a question of, you know, what are you thinking in school now? Not at all. So to that extent, yes, a very progressive household. But as it relates to Latino families, they're also very conservative, as you know. Right. Right. Uh, people assume the Latino community is way to the left and not so much. Mm -hmm. You know, the Latino community also cares for public safety. The Latino community also cares to not waste money. The Latino yeah. community also cares for a lot of different things that people would think otherwise, just because they assume that because we tend to be Democrats, and I am a Democrat, 
we tend to go to the way to the left and, and that's not the case and you will see that at the ballot box. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned earlier Francis Munoz, right? Mm -hmm. The uh, was it the first elected judge, woman mm -hmm. elected judge in Orange County? Latina in Orange County, yeah. Mm -hmm. Were there any other like mentors or just kind of people that you looked up to, whether it was a youth or someone going through college, that kind of helped you get you to where you are today? Well, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I've had a lot of mentors, but you know, number one mentors, my, both my parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, the struggle that they went through to look for a better life, you know, for us here in, in the United States, right? I mean, it was very courageous of them to recognize that whatever was going on in Mexico at the time was not necessarily going to be the best for our family back in 1979. Mm -hmm. The peso had just evaluated in value, right? So we were broke, right? And my grandparents had already lived here in Santana in the Delhi neighborhood. So we were very much familiar with, you know, Santana. Mm -hmm. So when we moved here, it was seeking a better life, as we say, the American dream. Right? And uh, we ended up moving a lot, right? And. Uh, bounce from one house to the next you know one of our uncles allowed us to stay in his home for about in one of the houses in the back if you will for about six months i want to say mm -hmm. and after that we were on our own right to the extent that my father was working two jobs you know factory jobs if you will and my mom was trying to learn english over at centennial education center and and we struggled we struggled mm -hmm. i remember it, you know we used to eat spam all the time yeah right oh. now i won't <laughs> touch spam not, only, <laughs> not because you know it's not it's a delicacy in hawaii if you will mm -hmm. but to the extent that we have those memories you know of uh, through law school, we were living on a couple of noodles and tuna, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, kudos to my parents. You know, my hats off to them. I will always value the, the fact that they, they struggled and struggled and struggled to provide us with a better life, and, and they were successful in doing that. And they left it up to us, of course, to do well by them. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are my number one heroes. Mm -hmm. So, it relates to other mentors. I've been very fortunate. I, I've, I very much um, like the, the Hispanic Bar Association, for example. Mm -hmm. It's an association that I got involved with early on, right after I left law school. And uh, to this day, I'm very good friends with a lot of the lawyers that were already in place when, when I became involved with it. And um, they always told me, go get a stable job, do this or that, and they have ideas for, for your uh, career. And then they support you wholeheartedly and they put their money where their mouth is. Not financially, obviously, but you know, they, they do open up doors so to that extent. I've been very fortunate. Mm -hmm. Teachers, of course, um, I'll tell you, <laughs> not a lot of people know this story. Back in eighth grade at Doig, mm -hmm. um, there was this assignment on, um, we had to write a summary on some story, right? And I completely forgot, right? <laughs> yeah. So the next day we walk into class and the professor, the teacher is asking for the assignment, right? I'm thinking, oh my God, that's right, he mentioned that at the end of the class, right? So I was reading it as he was collecting, it was one of those weird digest stories, right? And I swear to you, I wrote like seven sentences, right? I'm thinking, yeah. something's better than nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I was panicking because even just knowing my parents finding out that I didn't turn in the assignment, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then he pulled me over, right? He called me over to his desk and I'm thinking, oh, he knows I didn't even read the story, right? <laughs> and he tells me, hey, I just wanted to point out that, you know, in this summer, you cover like everything that's important in the story. Mm. Right? And uh, he always, it was uh, Williams was his name, mm -hmm. encouraged me to, to look into law school or look into English to do better my careers in, in yeah. English major. So there's definitely different people I could point to, but you remember those people, right? You remember Francis Munoz. Tony Rokakis has been a, a big supporter too and a, and a, a big mentor. He, uh, he's a former DA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had some controversial decisions that were made during his tenure, but some of them were very valuable. For example, taking on the Thomas Kelly case, you know, the homeless man that got killed in Fullerton. Mm. The police departments were not happy with that decision, but the fact that he took it on spoke volumes to me that he actually was willing to take on a controversial position. Not because it was a popular thing to do, but because it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. and, and we lost that case, um, but it was... Uh, 
I think he gained so much more admiration by a lot of us, you know, because uh, he was willing to do what it took, not necessarily the popular thing. I've done that in the past too. And you know what? I sleep well at night, you know, for the decisions I've made and the fights I've taken on. You know, it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, right? And to that yeah. extent, I think I am and wiser too. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool too. You can rem remember those stories because mm -hmm. at, growing up, I feel like you. Sometimes you forget a lot of some like memories, right? Mm -hmm. So things just pass up and you grow up kind of fast, but you can always recall like certain moments, right? Mm -hmm. and, and at least for me, like when I was in college or in high school, like, I can remember certain teachers either being discouraging or encouraging. And like those mm -hmm. teachers that took the extra time, mm -hmm. they didn't always do it, but like when I felt like when they did, they kind of push you to go to like another level and that kind of, I don't know, I feel like teachers need to do a little bit more of that. Just be a little bit more encouraging. Cause sometimes, at least through my school experience, mm -hmm. Grew up in Santa Ana, but then we moved to middle school, uh, when I was in middle school, to Orange, the city of Orange. And I just felt like, I don't know if it was the classes I was in or the teachers that I had, mm -hmm. I didn't have like the strongest teachers. Mm -hmm. um, I actually had some teachers that were just kind of like very minimal effort mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of just put in the minimum. But when I went to Golden West College out of high school, mm -hmm. I felt like I was blessed to have a lot of like really encouraging teachers. So in high school, I never mm -hmm. was really strong in English. And um, so when I took the, uh, the placement exam to get into community college, mm -hmm. I actually had to, I took, I basically placed at the lowest English. I had to take two Englishes before I even got like an mm -hmm. English. Like uh, the remedial stuff, yeah. right? Uh -huh. So it wasn't even like, but it wasn't that I didn't know the language. You know, English was my first language and it wasn't like that I was a bad writer. I just never had a lot of English teachers that put the time in. Right. But I just remember the first, uh, like the first English teacher in that first like class, she was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you know, like you're way mm -hmm. like after our first essay, and she's like, you know, you're way smarter than this, and like I know you're capable of a lot of things just reading off of this, right. and she just kind of worked with me and you know taught me how to organize things better, a little bit more, better as far as like like writing structure and that kind of stuff. And I just remember, it just now like I can say like I write and I enjoy writing and I want to <laughs> write for like a, a living, you know, or like do maybe a book or two. But in high school, I would never thought that. But I just thought the community college professor kind of like unlocked that side of me right and i was able to like overcome whatever obstacles i was holding myself and limiting myself to because of like the education that i had received in high school if that makes sense right now it makes perfect sense it's all about the self-esteem too right mm -hmm. and messaging that you get as a kid right yeah. where you know you are you're only expected to reach a certain level because you know the color of your skin or your background or where about you live in the city or mm -hmm. you know who your parents are right mm -hmm. as opposed to more affluent neighborhoods in better schools you mm -hmm. know where teachers uh not that our, our teachers in Santa Ana try, they try very hard. There's a lot of them that, you know, my hat's off. But then there's those that, as you say, you know, have kind of like thrown the hat in, you know. And that's true of every district, right? Yeah. There's, there's those. But to the extent that we could overcome even those challenges with those teachers, it's important because our kids have such potential, yeah. right? Like we, we go through the DA's office, we have a program called GRIP, right? It's mm -hmm. the Gang Reduction and Intervention Program. And we have two phases of grief. The first one is the, the more, the enforcement one, where the kids are already in gangs and the parents haven't really done anything about it. And you, you start, you know, getting a little more concerned with it and you become a little more assertive with that, mm -hmm. that group of people. But then we have the prevention one, where we show up, and that's where I volunteer, where you show up to the local elementary schools in partnership with probation and your local law enforcement and the teachers, right? And the principals have to buy into the program and uh, you talk to fourth and fifth graders mm -hmm. and we go and we uh, we teach them about you know the dangers of drugs of course the dangers of gangs you know what to watch out for because you better believe it they're recruiting they yeah. live out of school and they're walking home and there's your classic gangster trying to recruit them right mm -hmm. and then we bring in the parents 
and we teach them in Spanish, you know, what to look for, like if their kids are starting to write, you know, in that funny writing and what it means, you know, we teach them to go through their schoolwork, to go through their um, backpacks. Mm -hmm. And then we have them get involved, you know, we have a greeter program where the, the parents volunteer in the morning and in the afternoon and they greet the kids and it makes all the difference in the world, right? You're getting to school and they say, oh, you know, how are you? And you sure. did your homework or how's your sister or the star, right? Yeah. As opposed to someone that doesn't even know your name. Yeah. So we have the greater program and then we have a mentorship with the, with the teachers themselves. We also teach the, the students about dreams, right? We mm -hmm. give them a little box and we call it a dream box. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the, my, my favorite parts of the program. We, uh, we tell them to work on their box, right? And they have a week to complete it and they put in, you know, they have to cut out the things of what they dream to do or what they want in life, right? Mm -hmm. And then when they come back, they decorate the boxes and then they have to present to the class as to, you know, why they decorated it that way. And then yeah. they have to show the contents of the box, right? So let's just assume this kid pulls out a Ferrari, right? Mm -hmm. So we tell them, okay, what are you going to have to do to get that Ferrari, yeah, right? Yeah, and uh, we tell them about, you know, the value of education, right? What it takes to get to a university, you know, what it takes to get that beautiful home and what it is to achieve their dreams and how gangs or drugs or crime could actually prevent them from reaching yeah. those dreams. So to that extent, it's, it's wonderful to see their little faces and you see the potential, right? And yeah. you see they're smart kids, right? but it's all or when you land, the messaging you get and are you willing or able to overcome some of the challenges presented to you. Mm -hmm. So yes, a lot of injustices in a lot of our education systems. When we started our conversation, I told you right away to this day, I remember it, right? Yeah. You're doing A work, you're getting 100% of the test, but you can only get a C because it's an ESL class, right? Mm -hmm. How fair is that to the students? Yeah. So to the extent that we could address those, we need to, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it's systematic too. I remember mm -hmm. I had one English teacher again at the community college level, and he, he said he got to, I've only grown up here in Central Orange County, Santa Ana mm -hmm. Orange, and been in those two school districts. But he said in like other wealthier like neighborhoods or districts, mm -hmm. you know, they have completely like different teaching styles like to the mm -hmm. wealthier communities and the wealthier neighborhoods, right? And I just feel like sometimes, at least in these uh, cities, mm -hmm. they teach you kind of, it's very like, like I said, very basic level stuff. And they kind of mm -hmm. teach you to go into like a very like entry level type job, mm -hmm. whether it's factory, whether it's like something that doesn't require a college education, right. but kind of, they don't teach you to be creative and they mm -hmm. don't teach you to think for yourself. They don't teach you to lead, I think, either. And that's one thing I stress just working with middle schoolers is trying to like bring out that creativity outside, mm -hmm. um, trying to think for themselves and, and lead in different ways. But because you could, like you said, you see these kids have potential. Mm -hmm. It's not like all these kids are just want to be, you know, the just a number, right? Mm -hmm. these, some of these kids have do have these dreams and they have the work ethic, but because their family doesn't, you know, either immigrants or mm -hmm. they just didn't have an education, so they don't know how to go about these things. Mm -hmm. So it's just putting resources in front of them. I remember mm -hmm. as a kid, like I really didn't, so my whole thing, like going to college, when I discovered that you could become a sports broadcaster, mm -hmm. that really inspired me because like I didn't even know those guys got paid. Like I thought mm -hmm. they just did that for free to talk about oh, games. Oh no, they, some yeah. of them make some pretty good money. Exactly, <laughs> but see, I was never introduced to that as a kid, and that's mm -hmm. one thing I like, especially working through sports, is like you know everyone's dream. I think, especially me as a kid playing mm -hmm. sports, and like all my friends, we wanted to make it to the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, especially as a Mexican, you know, five ten, two hundred pounds, like. Good yeah. luck, you know, you have right. to be really fast. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, we just don't have the genes for it, but doesn't mean you can't be, whether it's in the broadcast or maybe mm -hmm. refereeing or even like graphic design or, you know, there's all kinds of marketing stuff like that, sales, ticket sales, and there's other things you can do to work in sports. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like as a kid, like I wasn't really exposed to all that. So it was right. like, okay, well, I got to make it as a player or that's it, you know. Mm -hmm. But when there's so many other options when you can do. And, the possibilities and, are endless. Right. And sports right. are kind of advancing. So that's, that's like been a big thing for me. 
me at least seeing all these kids being so invested into the sport it's like all right well let's say you don't make it like what's a backup plan that you could still be kind of involved in it like you know and right. just teaching them about i remember a kid asked me like hey like you know he's picking out classes mm -hmm. he was eighth grade going into freshman year mm -hmm. what's graphic design He's like, oh, graphic design, like, open up your Instagram. And he mm -hmm. follows a lot of, like, NFL pages and stuff like that. It's like, see that, you know, the, it was like an alert, like a team made a transaction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, someone had to make that. Like, someone put the team colors together with the team logo, mm -hmm. with the player, and then the money that they got for the contract. Right. He's like, really? And he's like, yeah, like, that's what graphic design is. It's just putting all those together on mm -hmm. a layout so they can post it to social media. And so mm -hmm. people like you, fans can see it. Mm -hmm. He's like, wow. And he ended up taking the class. So I, it's great. just, and you know. They, and they can make a living out of that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People can make a living off that and you're kind of still even though you don't get to play the sport you're still mm -hmm. around it and i think you know if that's mm -hmm. something you really love you know it's, i think it's just as cool yeah but it, it's all about the messaging right i mean mm -hmm. that kid was lucky to have had that conversation with you yeah right because he probably wasn't hearing it at home right right he was probably hearing a different message like you know well why don't you do something else or why don't you go help your dad with the yard mm -hmm. if the father is a gardener there's nothing wrong with being a gardener they do very hard work right but going back to what you were saying some of the families just expect you to get out of high school and work yeah or you're expected to do certain things and not go to school mm -hmm. uh, going back to your question as, as far as a progressive home i um, was very active in mentoring as well mm -hmm. young girls and i was persona non grata in a house in delhi because mm -hmm. a young lady wanted to go to college right and uh, the father just did not have that plan for her in life right so uh, he did not like it when i used to go pick her up and one time he wouldn't even open the door so oh, wow. uh, so the little girl told me, hey, my dad's upset and he doesn't want me to go with you. He still wants me to just, you know, get married and, you know. Uh, so yeah. I left, but I'm thinking, how does this still go on this day in life? I mean, this, you're talking about maybe 14 years ago this happened. Yeah. So um, I left and then the mom chased me mm -hmm. to the car and said, oh, she'll be out in 10 minutes. Just wait for her, right? And they probably had a big nasty fight, you know. Yeah. But I was able to take the kid away and have a conversation mm -hmm. with her, you know. Um, so to that extent, we do have a cultural barrier mm -hmm. within our families to get our kids out there, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and you were talking about college. One of the things I've realized, obviously, since uh, my tenure for eight years at the community college district, College might not be for everyone. Like right. you're, like we know the traditional college, right? Where you get your A degree, you get your BA degree, you get your law degree, or you know your doctorate in other in other professions, if you will. But uh, there's also so many other careers you could go into yeah. that don't necessarily require, you know, a BA. Uh -huh. as, as long as I don't have a fly on my hair, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> don't necessarily require a BA, right? Like yeah. for example, uh, water, right? Mm -hmm. Water is priceless. Water is gold, right? And it's a niche. Mm -hmm. And we have a program at Santiago Canyon College, right, where you get certain certificates and you're making $80,000 out the court. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go through the trouble of a VA. It's obviously a difficult program, but it exists. Mm -hmm. right? Or you have your nurses or you have your yeah. apprenticeships, you know, auto mechanic, culinary, you name it. But it's a question of, you know, finding out what the aptitude is for these students and what it is they want to do in life. Because you got to do something you like. You're going to be doing it for the rest of your life, right? Right. But it's asking those questions early on. Yeah. So now we have a, a program called Pathways, where we work with Tanana Unified or all other school districts uh, within the community college district we serve because we serve it in different cities. Mm -hmm. And uh, But in Santana, we do have the Pathways program where we start talking to the kids at an early age, eighth grade, and try to see what it is they want to do. And, and you might not know, right? I mean, right. you're 13. But to the extent that you think you're going to be the best mechanic ever, you know, start exposing them to those things and see whether, mm -hmm. in fact, they like it. And if not, they could go to a different you know, path. Right. But we have bright kids in this city and they deserve, you know, all the attention they could get to make sure they're able to, to reach those streams without the barriers, whether it be a cultural thing going on 
in your house mm -hmm. or whether it's that teacher that doesn't believe in you or that counselor that's trying to take you in a different path because you're only in their eyes yeah. going to achieve so much right mm -hmm. or whether it's just you know society the, the, the yeah. system if you will that thinks you you don't belong right? yeah and it, it bums me out too to see like the lack of funding for like mm -hmm. art programs and stuff like that extracurricular programs in high schools or like that the higher levels because when i grew up i was able to take a woodshop class in eighth mm -hmm. grade but i remember that was, he's, he always told us that was his last year teaching it and they never you know found a replacement professor for that or a teacher for that but my dad would tell me you know growing up even at saddleback they had a mechanic shop they had um a woodworking shop mm -hmm. but they also had like a steel working shop and he made like things that are up in my grandma's house still to this day mm -hmm. so you know i felt like they had a lot more um investments into those like programs mm -hmm. and you can kind of get you know the kids can take those classes and learn different trades and whether they you know do it as a career or not they kind of mm -hmm. get to experiment with different things right where i feel like now don't get me wrong stem is important but not every person is going to go into stem and i feel like you have kids that want to work with their hands or maybe want to artwork more art-wise mm -hmm. constantly pushing math on them they're gonna end up hating school and they just, you right. almost like turn them away from even going to higher education or doing anything like that because mm -hmm. it's like well school sucks because i have to learn this math that i don't like and i'm never going to use because they think a different way and it's mm -hmm. like you know it brings me back to like the basic always picture it's like if you or not picture it's a quote where mm -hmm. you know you expect uh it's like you know every student is a different animal that's how like the metaphor mm -hmm. is you can't, you know, judge a fish on how smart they are if they, you know, if the test is on how they fly. Right. fish don't fly. Right. So it's kind of like a different thing. You have to find everyone's strength, strong suits. And like mm -hmm. you said, around middle school or even high school, like, I think not a lot of kids don't know what they want to do, but they kind of have an idea of what their skill sets are. And what they like. And what they yeah. like, exactly. And I think more high schools and middle schools should kind of be more experimental where they can kind of toy around with that and have a little bit of... Uh, freedom to do that kind of exactly. stuff, you know. And going back to the traits, you know, mm -hmm. like the carpenters, you know, you might be really good in math, but you don't know what you're going to do with math. And you're probably thinking, well, why would I, why do I need to do math? I don't really care for it, even though I'm good at it, right? Yeah. But if you bring it out, you know, you, you show the kid that, in fact, this is what you could accomplish with not necessarily a math degree, just being good in math, you could become the best carpenter ever, right? Yeah. Or an, archi an architect, if you want to go that far. Yeah. Or electrician work, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's not easy work, it needs certain aptitudes, right? But they could see how these difficult math classes will actually bring them to something they like to do, mm -hmm. electricity, and, and that pays well too. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have those apprenticeship programs going on in our community colleges, but um, we got to get better at getting the word out. I mean, we try our best, right? But mm -hmm. to this day, still there's that whole, you know, if you're gonna go to college, you're gonna get your, you know, BA and the sort. We need to recognize that not everyone's gonna wanna do that, right. right? And instead of losing them to them dropping out and not really accomplishing much or getting underemployed, mm -hmm. it's better for them to find the skill, right? That they're good at and they like and mm -hmm. getting them better jobs. Right. So going back to your political career, you ran for city council in 2000. What was some of the inspiration behind and, you know, just wanting to go out and branch mm -hmm. out from the different things that you were doing there at the time? Well, uh, some people describe being uh, politically active as a bug, right? You have yeah. this, this bug in you, right? You care, right? Yeah. You want to address injustices and you want to change the world, right? Mm -hmm. And you want to help your community. So I very much had that bug. And when I first ran, uh, we had a sort of diverse council, but uh, we well, we had going back then, this is in 2000, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't have as many Latino faces, right? We had a, a city that looks like Santana mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily represented in those numbers, if you will, on the council. And you had to run by, you had to run citywide, but you had to live in that particular ward. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, it was only the those particular, certain particular areas in the city that were able to elect for everybody, right? So I wanted to um, 
first of all, obviously help the community, but secondly, also prove that in fact, you know, we were just as capable, yeah. right? We could also represent the community and in, in some instances had a better understanding and we're open to working with other other uh, communities, if you will. So uh, when I did get elected, uh, it's funny because a, a lot of times we thought, oh, it'd be cool when we have an all-Latino council, but then when we did, it wasn't necessarily all that great either to the extent that other communities need to be served too, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't... Uh, as as fruitful as I would have liked it to be, mm -hmm. uh, and I and I see that I did get to see that change at City Hall, and 2020 hindsight, right? Your vision gets clearer. Yeah. Right? When I first got elected, I was as I told you, I was only the fifth woman, but we had an African American woman, we had two Caucasian women, one of them my best friend to this day, mm -hmm. Republican too, mm -hmm. and uh, and then we had prior to that we had had another Anglo woman, and then myself. Those mm -hmm. were the only so it was uh, three Anglo women and uh, an African American and myself, right? But um. On the council, we had four women, mm -hmm. four out of the five, which is kind of funny. Uh, not only were we diverse that way, but we were also diverse age-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the women was in her 60s, another one in her 50s, another one in her 40s, and I was starting to hit my 30s. Right? Mm -hmm. Don't do the math, I know I'm old. And then we, uh, we of course, had Miguel, who was mayor there already. Yeah. Um, but we worked great, and we had a, an, an Anglo man who was also a good friend, who was running to replace me on the college board. But uh, looking back in time, it, it's it's almost like your jury, right? You mm -hmm. want a cross-section of your community. And looking back in time, you do need that. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that you have a lot of our youth running for office, it's exciting mm -hmm. because they bring to the table experiences that we haven't had. You know, I, I bring my generation to the table. I bring my experience to the table. But, you know, I'm still learning social media. You yeah, know, and I'm yeah. still, you know, to a certain extent, you know, we didn't grow up in, in that generation. So it'd be great to have youth on our council along with experience. I think a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. And then diversity, of course, you know, to the extent that at the end of the day, it's, it's not, it's you understanding the community you serve, not so much, you know, mm -hmm. the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you do have, obviously, the background. You do have the experience. So to that extent, of course, you speak, you speak, uh, in support and on behalf of that community but you do serve the entire city and to that extent it's just about growth you know growth and maturity mm -hmm. as a person and i think uh, I'm, I'm better able to see it now and even having lived that experience and then having lived experience of an all latino council and uh, and then we even had diversity then right yeah. because not all of us were necessarily from mexico right mm -hmm. you even have diversity now with the people that are running for office right you have one that's from El Salvador, one that's from Bolivia, one that has whatever generation from Mexico, one that's not, you know, from any of the Latin American countries, you know. <laughs> uh, so you have diversity even amongst the candidates. Yeah. But I think uh, you, you reach your best um, your best solutions and, and problem solving when you have all all different aspects at the table, all right. different you know perceptions, all different you know perspectives, and then you're able to address everybody's needs or come to the best solution that actually helps everyone, not just a particular group. Or a particular age, you know. Mm -hmm. So it'd be interesting to see what the voters decide November third. You know, so yeah. I haven't endorsed anyone of the candidates that are running for council, even though of course everybody has their preferences. Yeah. Uh, a part of the reason I haven't is because uh, it's such a golden opportunity for this city. We're gonna have a, a new mayor for the first time in 26 years, yeah, right? Since I was born. Exactly. Oh my God. That's <laughs> right. Miguel's the only mayor you know. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, it gets better because I'm gonna win. Hopefully, <laughs> right? If the voters select me, then uh, it's gonna it's gonna be better I think just mm -hmm. different I'm not saying that Miguel did a bad job you know there's some things he could have done better mm -hmm. and I'm sure he appreciates that and there's some things he did really well for the city mm -hmm. but to the extent that we need change we do need change yeah so uh, it's gonna get better it's a golden opportunity not only do you get that new mayor but you also get at least three new faces along with a brand new face we just got with the recall right yeah 
when a, a certain member of that council, a former councilwoman, got recalled, right? Uh, she was replaced by an amazing person, you know, Nelida, and full disclosure, she's a good friend of mine, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I worked with Nelida Mendoza for, you know, years. I met her at the district attorney's office back in 1999. Okay. And uh, when I got elected to the council in 2000, she was one of my commissioners, right? Mm -hmm. And then after that, we both ended up serving on the community college board, mm -hmm. and we worked well together there too. And now she's the one that replaces Celia Iglesias, and you know, it's day and night. Mm -hmm. As far as the understanding, she's a veteran, she's smart, you know, she's just good people. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Because she's already the new face that you already know is going to be there. And then we have three potential new faces, mm -hmm. right? And a mayor. Yeah. So as of you know December 15th or whenever you know the turnover takes place, the change of power takes place, you have a brand new page with a lot of you know wonderful potential, yeah. if you will. Uh, and yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with our youth with a diverse council. But I also bring a lot to the table to the extent that I've been an elected official for 20 years. Yeah. But I did step out for eight years mm -hmm. and, and, and let them be and let them do what they were going to do with the city. When I did raise my hand to run for the mayorship, it was a pre-pandemic, pre-George Floyd. And I say that because as we recognize, those are two humongous challenges we need to address. Yeah. But before that, our city had a lot of challenges. Yeah, right. And it's very frustrating when you we were there for 12 years in, in my place, right? I was there for 12 years. I know how it works. And I know the impact of the decisions that we were making at the time and how our city was just going downhill. Yeah. We were, you know, firing uh, city managers left and right, police chiefs. It was just a royal mess. I mean, waste, neglect, you name it. So that's when I decided I was going to run for mayor because uh, I know how to do the job, right? I was vice mayor for six years at the 12 that I served, right? And uh, I didn't care for what was going on with our city at the time. I love this city yeah. to that extent, you know, to have it land in the wrong hands as I see it would have been a travesty. So so I did raise my hand to do that. Then we had the challenges of, you know, George Floyd and the pandemic mm -hmm. and um, being president of the World Trustees during that. You know, yeah, yeah. who would have thought, right? I mean, talk about a, a nasty year to be at the helm. It's given me great experience. I think I've learned so much more this last year dealing with George Floyd and the pandemic at, at the college level with uh, the seven cities that we serve and the colleges, you know, that we serve at SEC and some of the college. I've learned so much more this year than I did in the prior seven years. Yeah. Because we had to actually prepare for our students to come back in and right. we have a plan, we're prepared, we're waiting to get the green light, if you will. Mm -hmm. But to that extent, we had to deal with all the renegotiation with the contracts, we had to deal with making sure that we address the general divide, we had to make sure that the students, thousands of them, that needed to graduate and may graduate, right? right. So it was, we transitioned in four days, we pulled the plug on having to come in physically face-to-face -face classes on a Friday and by Wednesday we were already operating online. Yeah. Of course trying to catch and patch everything that wasn't working, right? As you know, Santana has a lot of challenges. Yeah. Right? Santana uh, not only do we have very limited internet, but it's not reliable. Right. right. It's yeah. pretty sketchy. And then we have overcrowdedness, right? Yeah. In a lot of our Big city. families and homes. Yeah, and to the extent that, you know, let's just assume that you're able to get them the internet service, right? They're competing with their siblings for it, right? So then it gets even sketchier. Yeah. And that's assuming that they even have a computer at home, right? right? And assuming that they had the equipment and they have the good internet and they're not necessarily competing. Right? They don't have the space to actually do their homework. Yeah. I mean, Sharing rooms or something, yeah. you know? Even before the pandemic, we saw that issue with the kids not having a place to do their homework, right? Some of the kids are doing their homework in the restroom because their houses are so overcrowded. Somebody's yeah. like, yeah, somebody's living or renting the sofa or somebody, right? So you really don't have room to live, mm -hmm. right? So to that extent, uh, we have lived that with our students, you know, and, and of course we, we address, you know, the other needs that they have. Mm -hmm. You know, the food, we also address, you know, the financial, we got CARESAC money and, and actually Santana College got an award on how quickly we were able to disperse that money to our students. Yeah. 
And, uh, and then we engage in litigation with the Attorney General, with Javier Becerra, where um, the federal government decided that undocumented students weren't worthy of that help, right? Mm -hmm. And certain other students, students that hadn't applied for federal aid before, and some of them hadn't applied because they're not citizens, right? So they were trying to limit the resources to just a certain group of, of our students. So Javier Becerra decided to sue, and uh, we joined in with an amicus brief, and we won. So we were able to disperse money to Ortaca students as well and other students that didn't necessarily qualify for that money. Mm -hmm. So we tried our best to meet those needs. We've opened up some of our campuses to be able to come to even our parking lots and to the library to be able to do their homework, right? Mm -hmm. And now, October 19th, tomorrow, yeah. actually, we're going to start to do more face-to-face -face classes because we do need to start coming back, you know, so, in phases, yeah. in phases safely. We're limited to 25%. Uh, we have everything marked, the social distances, we have the PPE, we have uh, the disinfectants. We're doing free testing at Sonora College for our students, faculty, staff, and the Sonora community. Yeah. And, and we're hoping to come back as soon as possible, as long as it's safe, mm -hmm. because, uh, because, <laughs> because it's in, the, the drastic impact, and I, I might, that I mean negative impact we're going to have on our education system, as a country, we're pretty pretty bad. Yeah. Then as a state, we're not necessarily want to brag about. Right. And then as a county, we're not doing that hard. And then Central Orange County, we have a lot of challenges because of what we just talked about, right? Yeah. So the sooner we're able to bring our students back to the classroom, the better. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of surveys where they want to come back, and we're losing a lot of students. Sonora College lost 7,000 students. Wow. Just right From off the bat. From to fall? Yes, just because of the challenges, right? And, yeah. and so the, the administration has been calling every student as to what happened. How how did you register and then follow up? Or what mm -hmm. is it that what meter are we not meeting? What yeah. meter are we not meeting? And uh, they want face to face classes, yeah. you know, and, and people learn differently in different you right. Know, environments, right? So, to that extent, you know, we've had some people complain that other school districts are not coming back as quickly, right? But we are different, mm -hmm. we're different in many different ways. Part of the challenges we face, other school districts don't face, right? And to the extent that we could. The damage control, we're working very hard to get that done. Mm -hmm. But going back to running for mayor, of course, yeah. that experience, I mean, I just gave you a little glimpse of what we've been through, right? We've yeah. had an nth number of meetings and an nth number of conversations and disagreements and agreements, and we have plans in place. Mm -hmm. But but that was also a grown experience. Mm -hmm. Then we had George Floyd, yeah. right? You can't ignore the fact that George Floyd happened, yeah. right? Uh, so to that extent, we have a safety department on our colleges, and we're the ones that actually have the Sheriff's Academy where a lot of our officers are trained. Mm -hmm. So when that happened right away, uh, I'm the chair of the safety committee, we called a meeting and we invited the students, faculty, staff and the chief and we invited you know the sheriffs that run the Sheriff's uh, mm -hmm. Academy to talk to us about what changes could happen, to talk about the curriculum, to talk about excessive use of force, to talk about cultural sensitivity training, to talk yeah. about you know all those, those conversations that need to be had. Mm -hmm. And we passed a resolution at the board level not only to address the safety concern with the public safety people, but also just your systemic issues, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we, for years, have been advocating to diversify our faculty. Yeah. Because it goes back to, you don't feel welcome in the classroom, or maybe you feel welcome in the classroom, but then you have those limits that have been inculcated on you for years, right? Where you don't think you're as smart as the next person sitting next to you, right? Uh, when you see a professor that looks like you, talks like you, grew up like you, yeah. right? There's a lot to be said for that. Mm -hmm. So we're out to, to address not just the police issue, but everything that's been systematic to the extent that yeah. you know we, we need to look at it we need to have a conversation yeah and you mentioned something earlier where you just said you've learned a lot more in this year than you have the past seven i think that's what's cool about the, i mean 
there's a positive to look out of this whole situation <laughs> this whole year is that we've had so much time to think and rethink different things in all aspects and ever, mm -hmm. everywhere i think like with george floyd it's different because like because sports weren't going on because mm -hmm. you know so many things were closed and we couldn't go out and do different things mm -hmm. we were like forced to pay attention and like more people were kind of on board but this is like that's been something like that people have been pushing really heavy since uh michael brown in ferguson missouri mm -hmm. right in 2014 and so that was like you know that that movement's always been there but then it grew by the millions and it's just mm -hmm. i just see like so many different movements on social media at least getting traction mm -hmm. because pandemic stopped everything and like me being a big sports fan myself mm -hmm. like i noticed like myself paying attention to more different things outside of sports because hey mm -hmm. like for six months there wasn't sports and even now like that sports have returned it's like well, I don't really care as much because there's other things that uh, I want to address or want to help out or want mm -hmm. to pay attention to, right? Right. That require more attention. And not saying like sports is a bad thing or going out is a bad thing or going to, you know, restaurants or bars or whatever people do that were closed for so mm -hmm. long. But definitely kind of like distracted. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, just it just put things to the side that we really need to address in our society, whether it's education, whether it's, you know, systematic racism, mm -hmm. um, whether it's, you know, policing and how we keep public uh, safe, public safety and how we address that. And so it's just, right. it's interesting, you know, it's, I'm glad we're having this conversation and I'm mm -hmm. glad I'm having this conversation with more friends that we never had this conversation before this year, but mm -hmm. we, we're starting to talk about it because so many things stopped. Right, right. Yeah. But it puts things in perspective, right? Yeah. It makes you grateful for you know all the blessings you do have, and uh, it makes you even more appreciative of how quickly we need to start working on the solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's golden opportunity to get that done. You know, now November third will now. Yeah. So we're gonna be. Yeah. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's very exciting actually. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, being a city council person, there's a lot of work and a lot of, you know, you want to serve the community. Mm -hmm. But how much do you have, I guess, freedom to, whether it's like call your own shots or how much do you have, I guess, like what's the balance of working with the others, city council people and the mayor, and how much do you get to like do on your own? You absolutely have to work with the council members, mm -hmm. right? And part of, I think, the neglect that has happened in recent years at City Hall is because the council members were already short streets, mm -hmm. right? So it was to a certain extent they couldn't see beyond their noses and they couldn't see the bigger picture. Uh, some of the council members have this obsession with Miguel, right? <laughs> to the extent that yes, the man is not perfect. You know, I will be the first to tell you the man is not perfect, right? But yeah. to, to the extent that you can get beyond, right? I, I not disclose names, but I did have a conversation where the mayor wanted a particular city manager, right? Mm -hmm. This is a couple of years back. Right, and uh, and the council just didn't want to go that route because it was something Miguel wanted. Right, so he asked me to please make a certain phone call to a certain council member, happens to be you know running for for mayor. Yeah. And uh, to please you know assist him, maybe convincing him to pick the right you know a manager, city manager, right, which is huge. The city manager position is huge. Mm -hmm. And we had already had all that turnover, and every time we lose a city manager, they, go, they let them go for capricious reasons. We're paying through the nose, and it's all taxpayers' money, and it's easy for them to write the check because it's not their money, mm -hmm. right? And then, because while you're spending that money, we're not able to provide other cushion services that our community very much needs, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I made the phone call, and one of the first things out of his mouth was, well, why does Miguel always get what he wants? So I'm thinking, Oh my God, if you can't get beyond your obsession with the mayor or whatever, you know, right you might have with them, yeah. to look at the bigger picture and what's best for the city, then we're more worse off than I thought, mm -hmm. right? So uh, you have to you have to work with other council members. And you know, the beauty of this particular election is the first time ever that we have had other um, 
the council members actually get elected by districts, mm-hmm. right? So they're only going to be elected by that little uh, area. And I say little compared to the entire city, but yeah. it's a six of the city. It's not a little area, but it's a six of the city. But they're going to be held accountable to that area of the city, right? So mm-hmm. it's great in several different reasons. Several different reasons. One, you're able to run for office if you're interested in running for office and you only have to worry about the expenses of that smaller area. Right. Two, you're held accountable to that area, right? And uh, so you work harder, you know, to make sure that the area is well taken care of. But then there's also that caveat, right? That, that And that's the concern um, I have, um, that council members not get too lost in, in not looking, you know, past the trees, right? Not being able to see the forest. We have a wonderful city that's 27 square miles and we got to look at the entire picture and serve serve it well mm-hmm. so there might be a need say for example delta yeah right that has a need to improve their streets i'm just using a hypothetical other of course there's many streets in yeah. the other need you know fixing and uh there might be another word say you know word i don't know two right delta isn't two but they've drawn the line so many different ways yeah but this is also another word right on the west end Mm-hmm. That has another need, but it's not as bad of a need. You know, are we gonna give up helping Delhi just because this other council member is more vocal or has more juice to a certain extent? Yeah, uh, that's the one concern I have. That's why a lot of people did not win the district elections, right? Because then people will start fighting over limited resources to try to place their word and their word only. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the council members, because I've you know listened to all their different uh, forums and stuff, they're very talented people that are running, mm-hmm. and and I think and I do hope that in fact they, they see the big picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we work as a team, I think we could accomplish a lot for this city. And, mm-hmm. and if we're able to prioritize projects, you know, based on need, mm-hmm. I, I think it would be a it would be a good fresh start. You know, I, I've already had some conversations with some of them, and I've told them, you know, if elected, you know, uh, I look forward to working with you. And one of the first things I'm going to ask you is what are the needs in your district? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm hoping to have a retreat. And I know that we just had um, they are having the general plan conversation. But they're also talking about what, you know, the plan we're going to have for the city, right? And there's been a lot of input from the community, but then you ask the community and they say, well, I was never asked. Mm-hmm. So we have to rehash that plan, right? Right. And have the conversation again with our community and then move forward. Yeah. Because some of these council members are going to be there for 12 years, mm-hmm. right? The mayorship is limited to eight years. Eight years is a long time, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we could put the city on a path that is, you know, something that I could look back eight years from now and say, wow, we got that done. Yeah. Right, I will be truly happy and uh, wholeheartedly you know, satisfied and move on to, you know, travel. Right, <laughs> yeah. But age better than 26, right? Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> that's for sure, right? Exactly, right? I mean, 26 years. Small steps, yeah. Small yeah, steps. But mm-hmm. you got to have the vision, you got to have the experience, and you got to have the world with all and the will, willfulness mm-hmm. to to work well with other people and address needs. And I'm not saying that we're going to agree on all things, right? Mm-hmm. But to the extent that we recognize that these council members are speaking for, for our city, yeah, absolutely, we need to work well together. So mm-hmm. going back to, I haven't endorsed anyone because I want to see who Sanana chooses yeah. in their particular districts. And uh, that is their choice. And then we're going to work with that person. Yeah. Well, speaking of choosing, in 2016, we saw one of the lowest turnout rates as far as going to vote, especially in my generation, in my age group. But just to feel like in general, mm-hmm. people just didn't go out and vote a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your message as far as kind of getting out more people, especially in the community, whether it's, you know, immigrant descent or Mexican-Americans or just people of like, you know, minorities, um, mm-hmm. getting them to vote and get to the ballots in? 
There's a lot of apathy out there. I mean, I think people choose not to vote for different reasons, right? One of them is, of course, a lot of us are from countries where, you know, politics just don't leave a good taste in your mouth, right? A lot mm -hmm. of people are convinced that, you know, uh, politicians are all corrupt and that the systems in their particular countries are operating that way. Mm -hmm. So it makes no difference, you know, how you vote. Uh, there's that. There's also the confusion, like, for example, where, you know, Hillary Clinton wins the popular vote, yet, you know, we have Trump as president. So mm -hmm. I've actually spent some time on the phone explaining to people how that happens because they will tell you, oh, my vote doesn't count, you know, because this happened with Hillary. So you have to talk to them about the Electoral College, which is a little yeah. more complex. And I would remind them that, you know, all politics are local and decisions that impact your everyday life. I met at the local level, at the mm -hmm. council level, at the school district level, at community college level. So those particular elections are even more important. But not to say that the presidency is not important. I mean, look what's going on now, right? Mm -hmm. To the extent that our immigrant community is impacted, absolutely. Our LGBTQ community is impacted, absolutely. Our women community is impacted, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a travesty that we might have an appointment of a Supreme Court. And not that we don't we don't necessarily have to take all perspectives. We just had that conversation about how it's important to hear from all sides, yeah. right? But if that appointment happens, the court's going to be so slanted one way yeah. that there will not be a cross-section of, you know, the nation speaking. Right. And all those interests, whether it be women or LGBTQ or the immigrant community, right, are just going to go down the toilet, for lack of a better word, you know, because their voices are not going to be heard. Right. So that's why it's important that we are able to you know, express our vote and our opinion, you know, by voting. Right. And, and convincing them that, in fact, it makes a difference because DACA students, they're hanging by a thread. Mm -hmm. Like uh, we started a conversation earlier. Um, undocumented student week is October 19th, mm -hmm. right? Tomorrow. Yeah. And we have some great students out there. We're almost hitting 5,000 between the two colleges. That number might have changed because of the pandemic, right? Yeah. But uh, these are students with great potential, mm -hmm. right? And and we don't want them to fall through the wayside, and we don't want them to lose hope, right? Because they have taken that extra step to try to secure a higher education, mm -hmm. right? Despite the challenges, right? They're still taking that step to try to better their lives and they're good people, mm -hmm. right? And to the extent that they might get slapped around by the Supreme Court because of the appointments that are made because of the administration that we have in place, mm -hmm. it absolutely makes a difference for, for our immigrant community. And there's obviously immigration reform, mm -hmm. right? That's gonna be huge too. Mm -hmm. um, I know there were a lot of promises made under the Obama administration that he was going to address that issue. Instead, he went with healthcare, which is also important. Yeah. But there's some disappointment amongst the immigrant community that, right. in fact, he did not do the immigration reform that he very much promised and the reason why a lot of people voted for him. Mm -hmm. Right. So to, to that extent, uh, not only is it important that we vote, it's important that we hold the people that we elect accountable. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, so, so it is very important that they do come out, you know, or you, of course, they spoke up, they spoke up in numbers uh, with the George Floyd. Right, protests yeah. and uh, separating the vandals and the looters out of that. Yeah, yeah. That's a little tiny segment that actually, if anything, sabotaged the movement. Right. right? To the extent that we have these youth speaking up, uh, we need them at the table. Yeah. Right. Uh, but there's this this apathy too, where they're so anti-system that yeah. they see the system as part of or the the election as part of the system. Right. Right. So then that they're anti the election. Right. I mean, if you elect good people that are going to do good things by or youth, mm -hmm. right? Then you're going to have better results. Right. And you know, for example, I told you about everything we've done for our students in the last eight years, yeah. right? Uh, to the extent that we have been able to help them and uh, they have been mm -hmm. able to, you know, they know that of course schools are safe, you know, from ICE, if you will. We passed a resolution from day one that 
ISIS not welcome in our campuses. Obviously, if they have a warrant, well, we can't stop them because we got to follow the law, right? Right. But are we going invi to be inviting them into our campuses just for the fun of it? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to have a reason and they have to have a warrant to be anywhere near our campuses. Mm -hmm. And and we've made that, our board is actually very supportive of our undocumented students, and we made it very clear to them we have the solutions out there. We've engaged in litigation. Uh, but it's not just about those students, it's about all of our students. But, but those decisions get made by having the right people at the table. Mm -hmm. And some of those conversations have not been had right. until we had people of color at that table. Right. When I first got elected to that board, the college board, right, uh, it was the first time that they had elections by district. Otherwise, you would have to run in all seven cities mm -hmm. to get one of those seats, right? And that's highly unlikely, right, to have, yeah. to have you know, a, a Latino you know, candidate win in seven different cities. It wasn't yeah. going to happen, right? So, Thanks to one of our good friends there, John Hanna, who's a, a big supporter and a Democrat, uh, he pushed to make sure that we had diversity on that table. Yeah. And sure enough, we went from, I think, one to four. Wow. Right? And then those conversations were had, and we started talking about diversifying the faculty, and we started talking about the faculty students, and we started talking about other things that are important to communities we serve that, I know, those conversations were not being had, yeah. but for, you know, having those people at the table. Yeah. So it's extremely important that you vote because it's these very people that are going to be making decisions you yeah. know, that impact their everyday lives, especially the mayorship. And I think uh, I have the skills and the experience mm -hmm. and uh, the will you know, and the background to make it happen for us. Right. And you mentioned too, I feel like a lot of people, especially in like my age group, are so anti-everything. And there's people anti a lot of stuff, right, mm -hmm. at any age group. But it seems like they're anti-politician, anti-police right now. Mm -hmm. How do we... I guess change that those attitudes towards I understand that we have the power to change those people in position of power but also kind of like start electing good people right we mm -hmm. don't have to completely ditch the system that's in place mm -hmm. we just have to kind of reform it instead of kind of oh like all oh, this is bad right it's like throwing the baby out with bathwater yeah. right <laughs> or, or you complain about it but then you do nothing for yeah, it right? right or you choose the wrong person mm -hmm. right because there's people that will tell you oh well yeah police are bad and they will buy into that belief system right mm -hmm. and then start messing with the police department mm -hmm. and, and then you have you know crime going up and guess who gets victimized yeah. your community gets victimized right so to the extent that that happened i'll tell you talking about the police i served for 12 years i was the chair of the public safety committee for nine of those years right when I left, the year before I left, and it was after a lot of work in, you know, targeting areas where we saw the highest spikes in crime and different types of crime being, being done, done with the provincial with the gangs and we, of course, did enforcement. Um, and strategizing, if you will, Force Magazine ranked us the fourth safest city of size in Santa Ana. Who would have thought? Mm -hmm. In 2011, but that was after all that work, right? right. I got turned down in 2012. I left in December 2012. Within three weeks, they were walking around, walking out one of our best chiefs ever, Paul Walters. Who had gotten awards for community policy and who had you know worked with us to strategize that way of course my BA is in criminal justice so mm -hmm. i was able to obviously put my input in the board not to take away from our officers of course they did work uh, but that was going on when i left and mm -hmm. soon thereafter you know the council that left some of them running for office against me uh, started defunding the police yeah right but it wasn't even thought of at the time right people weren't using the term but sure enough, they had this anti-police vendetta. They started not funding them, right? Mm -hmm. Not not filling the vacant positions, right? So soon we started having a lot of vacancies in the police department, right? And uh, the response time started getting longer, right? We weren't able to not only respond as quickly but address crime as, as we should. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, in, in police land, right? You want to get the best pick, right, of the people that want to become officers because you don't want you know people that shouldn't be yeah, holding yeah. a gun anywhere near a gun or having the authority, you know, uh, to walk around with a badge and then mistreat people. Yeah. 
So you want to be able to get the best of the pick. In order to do that, you have to obviously have the money to be able to get those, choose those people and be able to, you know, get the best pick out of the competition. So right. when these positions weren't getting funded, we couldn't be at the table to choose because we couldn't pay for them, right? Yeah. So we got behind Garden Grove and Anaheim where they got, you know, the best of the pick that was that were going through the academy. Oh, and so okay. Nana couldn't even start to to look because wow. we weren't getting funded wow. so decisions like those that are you know being made or were made after i left uh, are going to continue to be made and uh, we're paying and we're paying dearly there's actually studies that show that time went up when Sanana started making decisions like that there's an article in the times that talks about that mm-hmm. where it says careful with uh, choosing to defund the police and then they use Sanana as an example and that was happening in 2013 yeah and that was happening under some of the leadership of people running for mayor now mm-hmm. one of the candidates running for mayor was an assembly member at one point and he voted for AB 109 mm-hmm. which allowed prison inmates to be released into the county right without any funding yeah and then when they brought him to the county we had to actually put him in our county jails but then we had to release other people that were in the county just to make room for these guys mm-hmm. right and now you know he's claiming to be all for public safety i mean he basically opened up the, <laughs> the yeah. floodgates right to the one we have today yeah so so we ask our community to be informed because uh yes two of the council members that are running now they're travesty to public safety mm-hmm. and they make it seem as if police are bad but you know police actually protect us I mean, there's a yeah. lot of crime that takes place in our community yeah. yes are they perfect absolutely not Mm-hmm. I have yet to find a perfect person, right? Yeah. But to the extent that we can get rid of the bad officers that do exist, right? Those bad officers make the rest of them look bad. Mm-hmm. And, and then there is some learning to be done in our police department, not just ours, you know, nationwide. Yeah. You know, going back to the profiling, right? Going back to having cultural sensitivity classes, going back to proportional yeah. use of force, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they said you don't bring a knife to a fist fight, right? Right, right. But at the same time, and they're putting their lives at risk. So it's one of those, you know, there's got to be a balance. Yeah. There's got to be training on how to handle certain situations. Mm-hmm. And, and in all honesty, we might actually see the pendulum swing the other way where nobody wants to be an officer now. Yeah. Right? yeah. And you might start getting really good bad people, people right. becoming officers. So if you think we have a problem, you know, now imagine if we, in fact, we don't get good people yeah. that want to be officers too. And we have some amazing officers out there, yeah. you know, that are. Latino, bilingual, and culturally sensitive because they're part of our community. Yeah. Right? They grew up in cities like Santana. Yeah. And then we have some that didn't necessarily have that experience, but are still very good people and very good officers. Yeah. And there are some bad ones, and we need to address that and hold those people accountable, absolutely. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we kind of do that in, in our role as DAs, of course, yeah. so we know that we oversee that. Mm-hmm. that and we know what to look out for yeah and it's something i mentioned before too like definitely us as like whether it's the brown community the black community polynesian we have to encourage people of our communities to go into policing and not i remember as a kid you know if one of your friends said hey like i want to be a cop when they're older you know mm-hmm. they're they're kind of made fun of they're teased oh they've seen as such and sometimes even parents uncles or grandparents will you know mm-hmm. discourage that and definitely, I think they, in order to see equal representation from a policing standpoint, we can't do that. We can't continuously sabotage our own members of our own community to go into those like areas of importance, whether it's you know politics or policing or whatever, teaching that kind of stuff too. It's important to have equal representation and get those you know people to understand, especially keeping it local. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
uh, someone who grew up in Santa Ana and understand the different you know types of culture and people that live here mm -hmm. versus someone who's from out of state or out of town they're not right. gonna understand the same kind of concept and what it's like and maybe thrown off by certain things when they mm -hmm. see you know a banda at a party or something like that and or right. just, just different <laughs> things you know what I'm saying and, and they might be quick to assume different things just because mm -hmm. they're not familiar with the, the, the city that they are that they're governing and that they're policing right Right. But we can't sabotage our own officers, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be really bad. Yeah. And then to the extent that somebody's going to do the job, you don't want a bad person doing the job because the job's going to get failed. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, we do want to encourage good policing and the people that are doing it well. I think we do need to recognize their efforts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm not for defunding the police. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, yeah. I know that the party wants that decision to be taken and they've yeah. been very vocal about it, but that's just not mm -hmm. me. You know, I've been a DA for 21 years. I work well with our police officers. Not just in Santana but several different departments yeah you know I used to be assigning different courthouses along the county because it's a county position and uh, police officers from other cities used to come up to me and say how do we get into Santana because Santana used to be the department everybody wanted to work for right yeah and then Santana started you know getting rid of city managers and messing with the police department and soon that changed so we need to bring it back to what it was yeah. it's still an amazing city it's still an amazing department and yeah. we need to do well by our city yeah and it's time yeah and it's interesting because like that message deformed or not defund the police right mm -hmm. it kind of picked up a lot of steam in the events of george floyd and everything but i think it's more it should be like more relabeled as reform the police right right, right. you know you're not because taking money away from the department as you said is kind of mm -hmm. like hurting in a lot of different areas right but it's kind of redoing how they do things and I've been reading and, and mm -hmm. listening to a lot of different ideas about reforming whether it's like new trainings and that kind of stuff and you know there's different ways you can address policing without mm -hmm. completely getting rid of it like some people wanted to and right. I just think you know some people are very hopeful that like oh we're you know we don't need to be police but then you know we see we've seen events of that happening in like third world countries and that kind of stuff and it's you know, not always the ideal situation either no, so you have to find a, yeah. yeah you have to find a happy balance and my mm -hmm. hope is that it, it does get relabeled from defund the police to reform the police, mm -hmm. right? Or redefine, you know, redefine, what it is they, yeah. they do. Because we do see a lot of uh, our police officers responding to the homeless guy that's blocking the sidewalk. Yeah. I mean, why should they be doing that? Yeah. Right? Or, yeah, if, if the situation escalated with a homeless person because they have uh, mental health issues, right? Uh, they have gotten a little more violent. And that, that I, I wholeheartedly agree, they have been a little more, becoming more aggressive. They're going into pools, backyards, or testing doorknobs. I mean, that's scary, especially, you know, if you live alone or, yeah. you know, if you're an elderly person. So, yes, that has to stop. They've been setting fires. Yeah. Right? And some of our neighborhoods are, are being placed in danger. Just last weekend, we had that situation going yeah. on again where they set these fires and they think it's no big deal, but it could cost lives, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes, we have to address the situation and hold those people accountable, but we also have to look at the mental health perspective and the drug addictions that are very you know, prevalent amongst our homeless. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that our officers are responding to more, yeah. you know, uh, more of the less of the stuff like right? the blocking of the sidewalk and then right. they, the homeless person will get mad and then there's you know this argument and next thing you know that person's in custody and yeah. we see them in our jails and it's a revolving door so we let them go the very next day and then they're back the very next week yeah. right yeah. and you get to know them by name right <laughs> so, yeah. so to that extent we uh, at the college district we recognize every uh, september 11th to recognize all of our police departments for the seven different cities we serve and our fire department and we, and we also of course as you know we have the sheriff's academy on the purview so we bring them in and we recognize them. And uh, this last time we did it all by Zoom and we recognized Anaheim. Anaheim since 2016 has had a team that they call PERT that actually involves two police officers and two mental health 
professionals that respond to situations like that. Wow. So once a police officer sees that the situation's under control to the extent that nobody's getting beat up, right? Yeah. Or nobody's properly been taken or there's no use of force, right? Or weapons. Right. Then the mental health people take over and the police officer goes on a happy way. Yeah. Right? So I'm surprised uh, we haven't done it in Santana. I mean, the homeless situation, obviously, I think we all agree, is way out of control. It's definitely a crisis, but it didn't have to get that way that quickly. Yeah. And I think people just neglected it, yeah. and it grew exponentially. I mean, I'm not saying that there were homeless people in 2012 when I left, but it was under control. Yeah. Right? We didn't have encampments and the sort, right? So to the extent that we neglected it, I think we did, and to a certain extent, the city is going to come late. We need to hold other cities accountable. Yeah. So there's there's a plan for that, you know, to, to do that and to continue suing and then to take care of... Sanana definitely has its share of the homeless population and responsibility to it. Mm -hmm. uh, take care of those people that necessarily do belong to our city. Mm -hmm. But address the mental health issue and address the drug addictions. I mean, drug addiction is prevalent. And of course, because of the drug addiction, they steal mm -hmm. to pay for it, right? And if they don't get the drug, then they become more aggressive, right? Yeah. And then the drug itself causes mental issues, yeah. as you know. So it's yeah. a very sad situation, but it's something that could be handled that hasn't been. Yeah. You know, or maybe to the extent that they're starting to, it's a little bit of Johnny from late, so it's going to be an uphill battle, but it's definitely one that we're going to take on. Right, because like you said, Orange County as a whole has mm -hmm. a really big homeless population. Mm -hmm. What are some of those ideas to address, whether it's the drug addiction or just other areas of homelessness in mm -hmm. the city at least? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well that's that's one of the big ones. And of course, you know, we have the uh, several homeless shelters, but that's all about location, location, location. Yeah. Right? Because nobody wants one in their backyard, right? Yeah. And at the same time, I mean, yes, we'll take care of our own, but there's a saying in Spanish, of when juez empieza por su casa, like, yeah. the good judge starts in his own home, right? Yeah. Or her own home, to that extent. Um, so we got to do well by by your residents, because nobody deserves to have their houses broken into, or, you know, their yards or the scare, or being, you know, assaulted, if you will. But at the same time, uh, we do have a responsibility to take care of, of our homeless that belong to the city, right? And, and not just I'm not saying just put them in a house and that be it. Some of them don't want that help, right? Right. No. Yeah. That's that's the challenging yeah. part, right? So, but but do address you know what it is that we need to do to get them off the street. Right. And I'm not talking about incarcerating them. I mean, they're committing crimes absolutely. But to the extent that it's a homeless issue more than a criminal issue, mm -hmm. we need to address it. Yeah. You know, with the mental health perspective and the drug addiction perspective. There's a lot of great programs that are already in place. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. We just need to make room for that segment of, of the homeless population that does belong to our city mm -hmm. and make sure that other cities take care of the segment of the homeless population that belongs to them yeah right and yeah. then the county needs to cough up the money they've been holding i mean they're sitting on millions of dollars that mm -hmm. are intended for mental health issues mm -hmm. that go directly to the homeless population right just sitting on them which goes back to elections for the county board of supervisors as well right right it's it's pathetic that to this day sanana doesn't have a representative right <laughs> it's sad it's very sad mm -hmm. you know where the county seat and we're the biggest city in that particular district and we don't have a representative. Wow. That's, that's something yet to be addressed. Yeah. You know, one step at a time. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we see some change there too. Or at least if that, that person doesn't change, at least some leadership in making sure that that homeless situation gets addressed for our city. Mm -hmm. Because uh, it so deserves it. Yeah. And it's something from my time in college, I've gotten to travel a little bit. And I felt like there's homeless people in every city, right? Mm -hmm. From Kansas City to St. Louis. Dallas, Sacramento, San Francisco, there's homeless people everywhere. I wanted to ask you a bigger picture, you know, do you think like we are capable of living in a society where there is no homeless people, just as the, whether it's a small level or at a nation level? I think there's always going to be a homeless population, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's part of, you know, 
humanity, if you will, yeah. like I told you. Uh, but there's a difference between having the crisis that we have here today and, and having the more controlled environment population, if you will, that, yeah. that we've seen in other cities. San Francisco's out of control. Mm -hmm. LA's out of control. Yeah. Right? Uh, San Ana doesn't need to be that, and we weren't that. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, eight years ago when I left, we were not that. Yeah. So uh, I, I think we're still timely to address it and address it aggressively. Mm -hmm. But it, it'd be unrealistic to say that we're going to get rid of homeless altogether. Yeah. Some people choose to be homeless, yeah. right? But to the extent that they're impacting the quality of life of other people, that, that needs to stop, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I think we'll have some, but not to the level that we have right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's neglect yeah. by the county and it's neglect by the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like after when we moved to Orange, I lived off Catella and mm -hmm. we were, stayed pretty close to the riverbed. Mm -hmm. But you know, up until 2015, I think is when they started kicking homeless people out of mm -hmm. the riverbed. There was, you know, huge, you know, little communities of people just kind of shacking up with tents and where it was like, you know, you'd ride down the riverbed trail on my bike and you'd see like, you know, probably like hundreds, maybe even thousands of people living up, mm -hmm. you know, facing the interstate and facing the Honda Center. And it was interesting to see when they did kick people out. I was in college at the time, but it's like, okay, well, where do all those people go? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my parents would tell me different stories about like, you know, local shops or local businesses kind of being um, mm -hmm. affected by those people being kicked mm -hmm. out and they would harass store owners or mm -hmm. gas stations that are open up late and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a tricky situation. It's like, it's something, like you said, it, it, it almost seems like unavoidable. There's always going to be a small percentage, mm -hmm. but it's like, how do we at least clean it up? Like, how do we, you know, change that? Because it just seems like it's, it's, it's growing like ever more. And like I said, it's everywhere too. Every mm -hmm. big city, every semi-big city, like it's, it's always a problem. Like how do, right. you know, how do we get those numbers lower? Right. And, and it's a dangerous population. And yeah. I'm not saying they're all criminals, but some of the conduct they're engaging in is pretty yeah. dangerous. You know, yeah. they, they could get shot, right? Because people don't know that they're just looking for, say, water. I mean, some of them are going to people's houses and opening up the refrigerator or they just want to take a shower, right? Yeah. And you think, well, there's nothing terrible about taking a shower, but then you're coming into somebody's home, right? right? Uh, you also have the arsonists, right, that are setting fires and you could take lives with those fires. We, we had uh, a case not too long ago where um, somebody's patio furniture got set on fire because they said one of the homeless people set a fire on the creek, right, oh, and it caught on to some of the dry you know, trees that we have out there. And sure enough, you could wipe out an entire neighborhood if you like. Yeah. Some of our businesses are getting impacted. We have one on Standard and First where a homeless woman decided to just set that on fire, right? Wow. So it's the losses to our community, right? Um, La Chiquita, Sammy Montoya's place, just the other day, he was telling me how the homeless woman that is typically very peaceful, that he knows my name, mm -hmm. who he gives food to many a time, became aggressive and he wasn't sure if she was on some drug or didn't get the drug, right? Yeah. But she started tipping tables over and throwing mm. chairs and it's a four o'clock in the afternoon and yeah. you know, how is that to a business owner, right? Yeah. So. Then you have the other extreme where, you know, we all love Danton Santana, right? And there is village. Yeah. We used to have these beautiful benches there and then one day they all disappear. Yeah. And they decided to take them away because they didn't want homeless there. I'm thinking, well, then nobody gets to see. Right. I mean, how, how much sense does that make? Yeah. Right? Or even like bus stops too. Yeah. They're trying to take away those. Right. Yeah. So you gotta be reasonable in your solutions, yeah. right? And it's not like that eradicated the homeless population, right? Uh, yeah. So I, I thought it was just crazy. And then when somebody called them on it, they said, oh, no, no, we're just gonna bring in new benches. Yeah, yeah no. not so much. Right. And it's interesting, a different city, but in Anaheim, mm -hmm. near Disneyland, there's a lot of homeless people that would sleep on those benches. And obviously they don't want to see that, or they don't mm -hmm. want the tourists to see that from out of state, out of country. So they mm -hmm. took away from them of those benches, but there's still like homeless people hanging out mm -hmm. at those bus stops. So it seemed like it almost 
Cardinals did no good. You know, sure they're not on the bench, but they're still like right next to the on area the floor, on right? the floor, and exactly. So it's you know, just by taking that away, it wasn't you know the, the clear cut solution. Yeah, come yeah. back to your bike trail example, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully you were able to travel to the bike trail without any you know people in your way or anyone pulling a knife to your neck. You yeah. know, because those times were happening. Yeah. Where people couldn't ride their bikes anymore, right? Yeah. They were you know getting robbed, right? Yeah. And going back to the drug addictions and the homeless, you know. But how did it get that far? Yeah. How was it allowed? It's not like it happened overnight, right? Mm -hmm. The solution, you're not going to see change overnight, but you can, we got to get on the right path to someday get there, right? Yeah. So the whole thing with the bike trail, yeah, well, you got to ask yourself, who allowed it to, to come to this, right? Yeah. And then even amongst the homeless population, they have their own set of rules. Yeah. They have their own policing, <laughs> and then they have their own, you know. <laughs> and and there's a lot of crime that happens amongst them. I mean, the assaults yeah. that take place amongst them, right? They're putting themselves with metal bars, or they're assaulting women left and right, and, you know, they don't talk, they don't speak against each other. Mm -hmm. There's a whole snitching. They police themselves, but we don't live in a society where you get to make up your own rules, yeah. right? So uh, it's not the wild, wild west anymore, right? <laughs> to that extent, uh, we need to get the situation under control. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about homelessness, policing, as well as education, but what are some other areas important that you really want to address if you're elected mayor? Well, we have a humongous issue with the economy, right, because of the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, I, I know the city is working on addressing the pandemic, but I think that too was a little bit Johnny come late, right? They didn't start the testing until very recently, mm -hmm. right? And then the way they're going about the testing, it's, uh, I don't think it's it's been very a very wise approach, mm -hmm. right? What I'm hearing is that they're going to neighborhoods, but they're going on the day the sweeper shows up. Right, <laughs> and people come out, and they 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 hope that people come out to move their cars, and then people are upset that they can put their car back, right? And you know we have overcrowded neighborhoods that have very little parking, yeah. and you know when you choose to like move your car because the super's coming, you come out to get your car back in place, and the next thing you know, the city's there, right? Yeah. And they're trying to <laughs> test you, and you can move your car, and yeah. they're telling you the day off, right? Or they were leaving these little door hangers the day off, so some of the people that saw it is because they were on their way to work, and they right. were giving this test during the day when. A lot of our people are working, mm -hmm. and then the ones that weren't were not, you know, open to taking a test. When they're closing down the street, you can move your car, and then they have police all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know that it was necessary to have a police force out there, right? Um, so, and, you know, I'm not saying that there's a perfect system somewhere, but mistakes were made, and to the extent that they've been cleaned up, you know, I, I think we need to do that a little better. I think we were lacking in education. I think uh, we should have put the word out a little earlier yeah. as to, you know, the pandemic and, you know, the importance of wearing masks and washing your hands and doing the social distancing mm -hmm. because it got, it got out of control. Mm -hmm. We are not the biggest city. We're the second biggest city in the county, yet we're the first one when it comes to the pandemic, right? Yeah. So to the extent that there was zero education, you know, we still hear about people throwing major parties, right? Yeah. You know, 50 to 75 people in a small house with a small backyard and throwing their music out and no masks and then they go to work the next day and you know how you yeah. catch this pandemic in, in two seconds so i think we could have done a better job with education and we could have done a better job in you know making sure we had the testing i think we do need to contact tracing you know i know that people might find it a little bit invasive but there's a lot of ways to work around it but people know that in fact we're not going to be calling the authorities mm -hmm. and um and the damage control, right? Mm -hmm. So I've yet to see the city have a plan. I know that the colleges have a plan. I can yeah. tell you about that plan. So to that extent, one of the first things I want to see is what plan we have. Not only, obviously, the education, the contact tracing, the prevention, right? But also uh, the economy. 
It's huge. I mean, we looked at a $19 million deficit this last time around and they filled it, yes, with yeah. unrestricted funds and with reserves. Mm -hmm. Those reserves were in place because when uh, when I left the council, we had just gone through the 2008 recession, right? Yeah. And in government, you get the hit the following year, not necessarily the year that recession happens. We got hit in 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. So we restructured the way we did business and the budget, if you will, and then we created a reserve mm -hmm. tank. And not too long ago, the council members were talking about, oh, we have extra money, and how are we going <laughs> to spend it? And then they were fighting over how they were going to spend these alleged you know, millions of dollars. Right? Yeah. And how do we go from that conversation to wearing the red and you know, what are we going to do? And now we're going to have to take the reserves and use one-time funds. And they laid off 200 employees. 200 employees and there wasn't even a conversation had with their union which is not fair either right yeah so you have 200 people unemployed right that maybe some of it could have been prevented maybe some of them could have been placed in jobs where you could do the testing of the sort but um we need to see where the mistakes were made not to come after people absolutely not but to fix it mm -hmm. you know so that we learn from them and then move forward so we need to address the budget. We need to help our business community. As you know, Sanana has over 30,000 small businesses. Wow. And particularly, we're an immigrant community, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents, I told you, they're the one, you know, naming heroes, they're the ones I would name absolutely each and every time. They struggle. Once my dad was able to get on his feet after working in different factory jobs, he saved enough money to open up a small business in, in downtown Santana on mm -hmm. 4th Street. Yeah. And it's a very small business that pay for my education and that of my sister's or undergrad education, right? right? And uh, to that extent, you get to see the struggle of this small business, mm -hmm. you know, these businesses that we have out there. Because it's not just you start from a guy that's selling you whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's the families that they're supporting, right? Yeah. It's what they're taking home. It's what the dreams that are helping accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. And it's their livelihood. It's, you know, how they pay for insurance, how they pay for their rent or their mortgage, right? Yeah. So they need to get back on their feet. They uh, they had to close for three months. And then once they started opening it up, they had to board up their stores, right? Yeah. Because of the, the protest. And now they're trying to, you know, come back. Yeah. So I think we could have done a better job in educating them as to the resources that are out there. Because a lot of our businesses are Vietnamese speaking or, or Spanish speaking, if you will. And they're not that educated as to the resources with the CARES Act, right? The CARES Act is something new to all of us, right? So that takes, you know, some, getting used to us to the rules but to yeah. the extent that we could get those resources in their hands to make sure that they're able to you know come back yeah because they're the livelihood of our city people right. are demanding certain services and yes very much so we need to get our youth programs back in order and our recreation yeah. centers open back up and we need to rehire those people but how are those things going to get paid for if we don't have a thriving economy mm -hmm. there's also our communities underemployed those that haven't lost their jobs they have jobs that could uh, pay better yeah right or or they have better abilities for better paying jobs if you will yeah so we need to find people jobs we need to get them pre-employed and uh, as i told you we have apprenticeship programs in our colleges so the experience that i bring with me now to the table coming back to city hall would be that of the eight years that i served on the college where because you mm -hmm. get a bigger perspective as to the role that the city could play yeah the glue that the city could play between the education that you're you know making sure it happens and getting that job yeah so we need to create that pathway between the actual degree or certificate to the actual job yeah. and our city the city has a lot of skills and a lot of potential a lot of smart people yeah. there are people that are hard working that are just looking for the opportunity to you know put in the work yeah so, and, you, and just sorry to cut you off you said okay. livelihood of the city i think it's like the livelihood of the nation to have small business and right. opportunity to right because other countries don't have the necessary opportunity it's mm -hmm. part of the american dream whether you're an american american mm -hmm. uh, like born here or someone who migrated from here 
you know you have the opportunity to start something whether it's a restaurant or a local dry cleaners or laundromat whatever it may be and you can earn a wage like that and that's you know i remember you know listening to a lot of different things and reading up on stuff where if if we went corporate like like if corporate america took over everything and all small businesses went out of business in this country like it would it'd be terrible basically right, what i right. got out of it you know because they can kind of control prices and they, right. they don't think about the small people here and there and you know something like you know even as something like restaurants like mm -hmm. a, there's there's places where you can go to where it's like flame broiler yeah and they have like a cookie cutter very style but then you can go to like a moss or like a you know just other teriyaki bowl places that do things very differently and provide different tastes and variety and sometimes you get more bang for the buck sometimes mm -hmm. it's cheaper because they do local stuff where you're supporting local communities and stuff like that so it's just you know definitely like buying local whether it's food uh, stores anything like i'm definitely mm -hmm. that's something that i've taken out of this pandemic a lot harder too is like pushing more local stuff because that's what keeps america america i think you know an opportunity for the american dream and we, we can make it happen in our city yeah. but as you know we have that horrible tax that got passed i voted against it <laughs> mr x right <laughs> we're the most expensive city in the county with very little to show for it and then a lot of people are not only upset about having to pay a higher rate for sales tax right mm -hmm. but on top of it the promises that were made as to how the money was going to get used are not being kept mm. right so there's a lot of people that are not happy with the tax but you got setting aside that and, and yes i think there it's very well reason to be upset about that tax mm -hmm. our small businesses are getting hit people yeah. are realizing that you know you could go across the street to garden grove and pay less yeah. right for that hammer you need to buy right <laughs> yeah. something so small yet so big right yeah. you know same with you know buying a car yeah. right uh Crevier, bmw is, is one of the biggest facilities we have out there worldwide if you will and it's in santa Ana. Yeah. Right, uh, but to the extent that yes, people are not going to be shopping for that. But if they're shopping for even a, a lesser car, to a certain extent, mm -hmm. why would they, you know, want to buy it in Santa Now, I use that as an example. Yet it's a little bit of a bad example because when you buy a car, it's based on where you live, the tax, yeah. right? So you could try to go to Irvine, right, and get the car there, think you're going to pay less because of the sales tax. They'll ask you where you live, and mm. they still give, will give you the tax, uh, right? Okay. So either way, they still messed you up, right? Because you still have to pay a higher higher rate for your car because of that so what the city did thanks to the car industry asking they did a rebate program of five hundred dollars but when you do the math five hundred dollars doesn't make up for the higher tax rate right yeah. it's almost like a here here mm -hmm. right so it's not for to our businesses it's not for to our residents i know that's all my contenders advocate for helping helping you know the financial strap families of course everybody wants to help the financial strap families but why make it worse for them right yeah. you were already bad off and then on top of it you throw in a sales tax that makes it more expensive for you to go buy rice and beans right? yeah or you know your everyday essentials mm -hmm. so people are not thinking it through or they're just running people over and i think uh, for that and many other reasons that we talked about today i think we do need new leadership but not just any leadership we need experienced leadership mm -hmm. so i think it'd be exciting to get some of our youth elected and you know to get some diversity at the table and uh, to get experience at the table too and start fresh it's exciting for our city, so hopefully we're celebrating in the yeah. very near future. Yeah. And making history as the first woman ever, yeah. that right woman mm -hmm. that's qualified, that uh, could best serve our community mm -hmm. uh, on November 3rd. Awesome. Well, before we wrap things up, are there any other goals outside of politics and just that, you know, personal things that you would like to accomplish the rest of this year or going forward? Well, I think everybody's depressed with the pandemic. <laughs> everybody's so fed up with the pandemic. I think uh, to the extent that, you know, every day that goes by, I think, well, maybe this time next year, we'll just be, you know, thinking, thank God that's over. 2020 has been a bad year for all of us. Mm -hmm. And yes, you count your blessings, but uh, hopefully uh, we're better, bigger 
people and I know I've grown as a person mm-hmm. you know because of this experience and, and that we learn from it mm-hmm. and as we talked about everything that's happened this year it puts things in perspective yeah right so I, I hope that we are not only just a better city but you know a better community and to the extent that I could help that happen I, I will right mm-hmm. personally I love to travel, right? Yeah. <laughs> Getting, got got a, a trip in early in the year, like way in February, not you know, when, before the pandemic exploded. But uh, but to that extent, uh, I do look forward to a personal life a little bit, you know, yeah. and uh, to getting you know down to business, you know, rolling up our sleeves and helping where we can help. Mm-hmm. If it's not in the cards, you know what? Uh, I'm wholeheartedly satisfied with the 20 years I've, I've given in our community for mm-hmm. service, right? I, I don't know what the future holds, right? Yeah. I hope it's the mayorship. Yeah. I would be very thrilled if it's in fact the mayorship. But if it's not the mayorship, then that means there's something better out there for me mm-hmm. where I could be of better use. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do want to become mayor. I think I have the best skills. I think I'm the most qualified and I think I could bring the city forward. So to that extent, don't get me wrong, vote for Alvarez mm-hmm. uh, between now and November 3rd. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about, Noah, it's so crucial that our, our residents go out to vote. It's, yeah. it's going to speak volumes. It's a yeah. big, important year. Not only because of all the issues that we already talked that are going on in the city, but nationally. Right. We have so much to lose. Right. And you might think, okay, my vote doesn't make a difference nationally because of the Electoral College, but it so does because it speaks volumes as to, you know, whether these communities care. Yeah. Going back to the census. Yeah. Right? They take us for granted that people not filling out their census packet, right? I know yeah. <laughs> it goes back to, you know, people not necessarily caring, you know, yeah. to the extent that they run us over. like. County Board of Supervisors, right? Right. How is it that we're the biggest city in that district and we are yet to have a Senate representative? Mm-hmm. And when you don't elect a Senate representative because our community doesn't vote, right? Mm-hmm. Then you don't get your services provided because right. the people that are sitting there know that you're not going to vote and you have zero to do with them sitting at that chair. Yeah. Right? So we don't get a person that's responsive to our needs that could be held accountable. Then, you know, we then have to explain why is it that we have the homeless population exploded in our city with zero resources that belong to our city not being trickled down and all the shelters being built here. Yeah. So uh, it, it's important. Mm-hmm. It's very important. So please go out and vote. Vote Alvarez. Mm-hmm. Claudia Alvarez for me. And before we wrap things up, I do like to end the show with a you know, few fun questions just to help the listeners get to know a little bit more about your personality. Well, they were all fun questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you could talk to any person dead or alive in history, who would it be? Oh, dead or alive. Wow, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Dead or alive. Probably Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would love to talk to him. Yeah. You know, I'm staying in the political you know, world, you know. He was, uh, we were talking about him and that election in particular, and people think that he won by a landslide, and he didn't. He was mm-hmm. a lot of struggles, and a lot of news, and he made history in a lot of different ways. Uh, he was the first Catholic to ever be elected and the struggles that he faced, you know. And yes, he came from a Silver Spoon family, but he had a lot of challenges. I would love to like go back to that era and learn from, from yeah. him, you know. Um, but there's so many different ones. That's the first one I thought of because I'm thinking at the presidential level. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. If you were stranded on an island, but you had food and water provided, what are three things you'd like to bring to pass the time? A book. Okay. <laughs> but I'm thinking of the Twilight Zone episode and I'm probably dating myself. You know the Twilight Zone, yeah, yeah. right? Where the guy, uh, was, you know, he wanted all the time he could, you know, to have so that he could do pleasure reading, right? And then when he finally gets, you know, all the books in that one place, you know, he's alone, his glasses break. Oh. <laughs> so, he can, so that he can read That's the book, cool. right? <laughs> so, all right. Yeah, or, or writing materials, right? Okay. So I could write a book. Yeah. Okay, so book, writing materials. Yeah. And, and what else? Uh, 
Well, no, I wouldn't bring a TV. I wouldn't bring Netflix with me, no. Um, <laughs> but probably something to do, you know, work with my hands, you know. I've always wondered if I have any talent there. I think I, think I know the answer to that. It's a big fat no, you know, but, you know. <laughs> you never um, know until you try. Yeah, I'm going to have endless resources as far as food, right? Yeah. And uh, then maybe not on how to grow your own food, but, you know, definitely mm-hmm. something to entertain myself, yeah. Okay. A sailboat. I mean, am I by water? Yeah, I'm on the island, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily a sailboat, but something where I could actually play with the water. Okay, (laughs) sounds good. If you could have any toppings on a pizza, what would they be? Oh. Okay, so some people highly criticize me because I do like the Hawaiian pizza. And, and they say, well, how, how is it that you like ham with pineapple? Those are two different things. Yeah. You know, but, uh, to the extent that sometimes we would order pizza at our board meetings before the pandemic, you know. Mm. Um, or board president at the time would actually, you know, cater to my taste. So there was always that one, you know, pizza that had yeah. those streamings. But no, I think, well, I like that, but I also like definitely mushrooms. Uh-huh. Definitely something spicy. Okay. It's banana, pepper, jalapeno. And... Um, Canadian bacon. Okay. But nothing better than a Napoleon pizza in Napoli. You gotta go taste. Napoleon pizza? Yeah. What from, is that? From Naples in Naples. Italy, oh, okay, you gotta no. go taste their pizza. It's okay. like the, absolutely the best pizza ever. And uh, Chicago is second to that. Oh, yeah, the deep dish? Yeah. yeah. And then New York. Okay. Where was the third one? New York. Oh, New York. New York oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, New York pizza is absolutely delicious. But between Chicago and New York, I think I like Chicago better. Yeah. But the absolute best pizza, Napoli. Yeah. And it's hard to find deep dish. I mean, obviously we're on the West Coast, so pizza's done differently here. But I, I can only think of like one place where I've had deep dish pizza where I'm like, oh yeah, I'll go back to the. Um, yeah, like the authentic with yeah. that crust, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. There's this place called Selma's, but it's only in South County. It's like Mission Viejo, RSM. San Clemente, I want to say, but that that has really good deep dish pizza if you ever want to check that out. I'm gonna to have to check it out. Yeah. Very cool. And, and bring then, one to Santa Ana. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then last question: If you could uh, give any advice to your younger self, what would it be? You know, I'm very blessed. I've had a blast. I have no regrets. Mm-hmm. I've learned from a lot of the experiences I've had. Um, I would say take the time to smell the flowers because. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my paralegals brought it up to my attention the other day because I'm always I can't I'm always saying I can't wait until this day I can't wait until that other day yeah. right so lately I've been saying I can't wait until election day right? <laughs> so she told me you're always waiting for something to happen right and mm-hmm. you're not like uh, appreciating the everyday experience right? right so you gotta take the time to smell the flowers right and they yeah. do tell you don't wish your life away yeah so live every day as if it's the last one right mm-hmm. and enjoy the time that you're passing I mean it is it is uh, not necessarily a destination but you know the trip itself right so going back to the election you know, as you know we're wrapping it up right we have 15 days left right mm-hmm. it's crunch time but at the same time uh, we've already won in so many different ways because we have an amazing team that's helped us and as you know this is where you you learn even more so about your community what's important to them yeah like you thought you already knew but you hear even more so of it but then you you learn who your friends are you learn the reasons why they're there and then people that actually want to go by the community so mm-hmm. I've learned so much already, but I, I feel like I've already won in so many different ways because uh, there's a lot of people out there that care for this community. Mm-hmm. Some people might ask, you know, well, why would you want to do this? I mean, you could do certain other things, right? But but I do care. Yeah. I do care. And I don't want that monkey on my back when I see, you know, bad decision making still taking place and I'm not at the table. I could mm-hmm. say, well, I tried. Right. And I gave it my best. We're working hard. And if it's not in the cards, it's not in the cards. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the world, but I tried. Yeah. So yes, take time to smell the flowers and then wish your life away, but absolutely give it your best, whatever it is you're doing. Okay. Awesome. Well, before we end this, go ahead and promote anything you'd like to promote, website, social media, email, anything you'd like to plug out there. Well, absolutely. I just happen to be running for mayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would I be the first woman ever yeah. in the history of Santana in 150 years? 
this year we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the 19th amendment that gave the women the right to vote mm -hmm. and the, the fact that we haven't had a woman mayor in Santana is pretty pathetic in all these years and we have a very limited number of even women council members I think we, are, we don't get to 10 in all these years so it's time but it's also time for qualified leadership right and to that extent I bring all those things to the table uh, I need you to go out there and vote, visit my website, uh, we do have a phone number of honor, all of our literature, please feel free and uh, either send us a message through Facebook, it's Alvarez for Mayor, and uh, our website is alvarezformayor.com, and uh, of course uh, you could always call us and we'll respond. Okay. So uh, make sure you vote, however you feel about anything, please yeah. make sure you vote because there's nothing worse than losing an election when people don't show up. Yeah. If everybody shows up and they select someone else, hey, I could live with that. Yeah, at least we tried, right? At least we tried, but if it's, you know, three people showing up, then yeah, that's a travesty for yeah. our city, right? <laughs> and of course, I want to promote our DACA students, right? Uh, October 19th is uh, Documented Student Week. So to the extent that you know anyone out there that's struggling, you know, because of the challenges we have in the American community, but are sick in the higher education, I give them a big fat kudos because uh, they do so deserve it. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you Bye very guys. much. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Boom, that's going to wrap it up for another episode, episode 126 of the My Mike and I podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review if you really liked that last episode. Also, be sure to check out any of the older episodes in the My Mike and I podcast library, as well as follow, subscribe. I think I already said leave a rating and review, but I'd greatly appreciate it if you guys did leave a rating and review. Also, follow us on the social medias at My Period Mike and Period I. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Noah Alvarez. If you saw my one of my more recent Instagram posts, I am doing a gift card giveaway. All you have to do is buy a set of stickers. Actually, it doesn't have to be a set. You can buy one sticker, $2 a piece, $3 for the holographic. If you buy one sticker, that puts you one name into a raffle for those gift cards. I'm going to be doing that the day before Thanksgiving. So still plenty of time. You guys have a whole month to do that. Help support the podcast, and I'm putting all that money back in that I make from the stickers into the podcast, hopefully getting maybe a better studio set up, better microphone set up, maybe uh, you know, more enhanced equipment, etc., etc., maybe some background designs, that kind of stuff. So it's all going back towards the podcast. Would really appreciate you guys' support. Again, thank you to Generic Sports for producing the instrumental. Thank you for to Vince Correa for designing the Mamaika and I logo. And as well as thank you to Claudia Alvarez for being a guest on this week's show. Don't forget to check out Phoenix Fit, spelled FNXFIT.com, and use promo code MyMike and I for 15% off on every single purchase. Don't forget to check out popl.co, P O P L.co, for any digital business card needs. You can use promo code LOCKER for 20% off on your purchases on that site. And guys, most importantly, I have all these candidates, uh, especially locally at a local level, for a reason. I hope you guys register to vote. I hope you guys turn in your ballot. It's mail-in. California, it's a little too late now by the time you're hearing this to register to vote. But if you're already registered, please educate yourself. Go vote because there's a lot of people who can't vote here due to certain restrictions and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, it's just important that you get involved. I don't care if you don't think like the presidential candidates. Go vote local, guys. There's a lot of mayors and a lot of city council people running that are going to have more impact on your day-to-day -day lives than any president will ever have in your entire life. So that being said, chase dreams, not checks. Never stop seeking knowledge. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week, month, year, and continue to strive and hit all your goals. All right. This is Noah Alvarez, the host of the My Mike and I podcast, signing off.